there will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. We're coming for you, banks. Bitcoin is punk rock. Deal with it. You split, we bankrupt you. So do you use Lightning wallets to pay for things or not? No. Bitcoin Cash would be seen as more of a threat to the United States hegemony than Bitcoin. Miles, tell me, what's your favorite kind of money? Bitcoin Cash. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. This is episode number 62, Google Crypto and 3D printing featuring FOAD. Today is Sunday, the 16th of October. 2022 i'm your host jeremy jet is in the producer chair making it happen with the new twitch uh layout you know bringing some of those uh technical skills to the table there and our guest today is a guy from D- dubai self-described uh bitcoin cash meetup organizer in dubai and a frequent contributor to all of the telegram channels actually lots of them on uh, the bitcoin cash community we've sort of got this weird system going on where everybody's split into all these sort of separate sub uh telegram so there's kind of a bit of community discussion going on but it's kind of distributed out across a bunch of different uh channels so i guess people are active in a variety of them as well but welcome to the show man how are you doing today thank you appreciate it uh glad to be on the show uh you know, uh, pretty happy to be uh, here finally. Uh, I've been working on lots of uh, projects within like the Telegram groups and stuff like that. It's kind of nice because, you know, you got a decentralized, you know, community and everyone talks about different things. So it just makes sense to be in many of them. And, uh, you know, there's the price group, there's the the overall group, the meetup groups and stuff like that. So it's been going pretty well. Yeah, exactly. It is It's interesting to me that people naturally prefer those kind of threaded discussions like i think back to in the back of the day it was all about forum boards and people love that because then you could go in one particular thread and there might be 30 you know active threads or something and if you cared about those threads you could subscribe or you know click on those ones and the ones you didn't you didn't and so then reddit is just obviously very very similar to that and in telegram even though it's this kind of group chat based system people still naturally fall into that pattern of having single uh, topic based uh, discussions that then people can get involved into so it's really interesting to see like which which channels are bigger and which are smaller and which ones are more active and uh, who who is cross pollinating or this kind of sometimes little uh, jokes or something running between channels that somebody is joking around in one channel and then they talking to the same person in the other channel that that kind of thing so it can be hard to get into though i think that's one of the things as well too like if you don't you kind of because it's not like a forum board where there is a list of these are all the threads if you just come into it firstly in bitcoin cash how would you even know to be on telegram you might join some way you kind of need to find your way into telegram and then even once you're there it's not like you know about this channel or that channel until somebody references it or i guess if you ask someone or if there's like referral links or you learn about different projects i don't know do you how did you find your way into all the different uh channels and do you have a favorite um i don't remember exactly how i you know, came into it. I, I think I, at one point I reached one of those uh, links that had all the Telegram Bitcoin Cash groups. Uh, I think I was just like searching up on Google or something. 
and I found it and uh, I joined firstly, obviously the regular one with like 3000 members, uh, the Bitcoin Cash group, then there's the price group. Uh, and then uh, actually, uh, I think on one of the episodes, uh, you guys spoke about like some open source project that uh, that Jet was working on. And I joined that one and that's how I, I really got into it. It was from the episodes. Yeah, okay. All right, good. Well, maybe we can refer a few uh, people here. Like, so the main one I think is the, what's it called? Let me just... Uh... Find it up now for anybody who doesn't uh who doesn't isn't on telegram or whatever if you so the main group currently has three thousand four hundred and sixty six members and that's called t.me me slash bch channel and i guess that's the main group so if you go in there you can ask you can just see what people are chatting about and i guess if you want to get referred into other groups you can just ask and somebody will message you and say hey check out this group or or that group it's kind of a strange yeah way to organize things in one sense because i feel like the discoverability is kind of kind of low you need to but i guess a lot of other cryptos do this as well too right like <clears throat> i think of ecash or i'm sure every other coin has its telegram groups as well too so i i guess that might help people moving from one community into another community if they're already used to that idea of telegram chats maybe i i don't know kind of a bit hard to know but how do you get into bitcoin tell us your story with the bitcoin cash and how things all got started with the crypto um so i'm not that early i heard i first heard of bitcoin in 2017 obviously in the, in the bull run i think the first time i heard about it it was like six thousand, and then you know just kept climbing up um I mean, even back then, uh, now in hindsight, you know, I, I've been seeing those videos, you know, the, the popular ones, I think, uh, like, what is blockchain? Like, or there's the, like one of those uh, videos that's like blockchain explained in five different ways to five different people, like, you know, from the youngest all the way to like the professional. And even then they were like pushing this narrative of, um, you know, Bitcoin or blockchains cannot scale. Like, like even then it was like, okay, uh, Bitcoin uses the blockchain. The blockchain is so much more than just, Bitcoin. And now like we come back to this whole full circle. So again, I, I didn't even buy back then. Like, I think I bought like a few dollars in Bitcoin uh, in, in like one of those uh, stock trading apps where you don't even have the keys or anything. Um, so then I, you know, I was just in university and stuff and I just didn't really follow it for a while. And I got back to it in the uh, beginning of 2022. And the way I got into it was uh, I bought a ledger, obviously. And uh, I was like, okay, cold storage. I'm definitely going to go for that. And uh, back then, Ledger only had like a few app, like a few cryptocurrencies, not that many. Uh, and, you know, just like any person that wants to make money, I was like, okay, I'm going to check all the coins with the lowest market caps. <laughs> right? So, uh, and then I would like go on CoinMarketCap. I'd do some research about it, stuff like that. And there's this particular coin that I came across, which was called VertCoin. Uh, with the ticker VTC. It's also a, a green colored coin. And uh, that coin, I tried it out, you know, because you can do mining on it, like GPU mining. Because obviously I'm not going to buy an ASIC and, you know, burn all that electricity. I was like, okay, I'll try with, with uh, my PC. I mined a bit of uh, Vertcoin and it was so fast, like like the transaction speed, it's just like Bitcoin Cash, like, incredibly fast. And then I, I tried some VTC transactions and I'm like, wait, this is really slow and I got to wait half an hour sometimes, sometimes an hour, and the fees are so high. So I was like, okay, 
what's going on here. And I did some research, uh, you know, Bitcoin. And again, like, I don't want to be following the crowd. You know, if you just follow the crowd, you might know that something is wrong, right? You don't want to be like a sheep following. So I was like, okay, then I'll, I'll look at the other side of the, of the table. And uh, that's how I uh, got into Bitcoin Cash. That's awesome. I, it's actually a thing that I think a lot of people have that experience. Certainly I have of knowing like people get the idea that a lot of the value is just in being early. And so then they think I'm not going to like people can be one of two ways. Either they think I'll just play it safe. I'll get the big coins because obviously the market has decided or, you know, there must be a reason that those are the biggest, safest, stablest coins. I'm not going to just get scammed and lose all my money. So maybe they just think, okay, I'll just get into the main ones. And then as time goes on and I get more experience, I'll look into the other ones, right? And then you have the more sort of opportunistic types uh, like you and me, perhaps, who look at the list and we think, okay, everyone's already in these main ones. Like, what are these other ones? What is the smaller ones? It doesn't take as much uh, new money or as much hype or whatever to pump pump this through the roof. So I've, I had some vert coin at some point. I definitely, I don't know that I even sent it anywhere, but I owned it on an exchange. Uh, and then, yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those smaller coins, like back in the day, it was Feather Coin. That was one of the classic uh, shit coins, which is now completely dead, I'm sure. But it doesn't. There's a that that risk to reward. You know, if you're somebody who likes to live on the edge a bit more, you you look, you put in the work to uh, look further down the list. So that's actually really interesting. And so, are you convinced of a lot of those other? coins still or did you kind of come all the way around where you found the small coins that were more functional but had no community or something and then got into bitcoin bc and then discovered well it doesn't really work and then you got through to bitcoin cash and now you're like well that's the perfect combo of, of both or do you still have those other coins do you have ethereum or anything else like that um no i'm not really focused on the other coins again i did my research on them uh, you know uh, again like in, in a bull market everyone makes money or like the same thing like when there's like some sort of scam or something like that you also everyone gets to make money until a certain point and i still feel like crypto kind of is that way in a way because like there's no utility like you could be holding litecoin like who's spending litecoin like not not that many people in my opinion so again uh, and you get to see those uh, blockchain metrics and stuff like that uh i would uh, when i was still like buying those altcoins and stuff like that most like most people you you make a lot of money from them and then you turn them into btc so uh, there was that. Uh, and also I was thinking of, uh, you know, looking into some stable coins and then it just didn't make too much sense. Like, okay, you're missing out on the, obviously you, you get to keep a stable value, but it hasn't been stable. Like we've seen so many stable coins. Like if, if something is called a stable coin, you know, something's wrong. Like, because <laughs> again, like, you know, there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Yeah, that's exactly it. It is a bit of a shell game and that's, kind of part of the both the beauty and the problem of, of crypto is that it it's it cut it's a an industry and a hobby and a a niche and it comes with so much new lingo and things because every, everything is like that right if you get really into poker or you get really into tennis or whatever it is you can find as as you delve deeper into it that okay there's these terms that you didn't understand and there's things that the industry people are thinking about and talking about and stuff that you probably didn't know at the start but with something else that you get involved in there's not necessarily so much money on the line immediately so people come into it and they have to learn 
to reorient themselves around all the lingo as well as all the broader concepts and everybody just learns it in this piecemeal fashion because they find their own way through it right so that's yeah i think it's incredible how uh, people come to different conclusions about different things and unfortunately some people who either don't look into it enough or they get a bit confused or lost along the way well maybe they put a ton ton of money into lunar and then it blows up a month later and they're like i i don't know what's going on i just know that i overinvested and now i'm screwed uh so some people have to learn kind of by harsh experience and some people can avoid it uh by finding the right information sources earlier so yeah it just it just depends everybody has their own their own journey i guess with the scaling stuff then so you said like you think that there's this narrative like it can't scale and so on and so forth and maybe that's a reason not to prefer uh bdc or anything that has capped its scaling but were you already suspect of like ethereum's chances of scaling or why yeah why are you convinced about bitcoin cash scaling then versus other options um again like like the whole idea was peer-to-peer cash and that's why i support that coin um because like ethereum was like all about smart contracts and again i didn't really like understand it so much and uh, i didn't really want to get into it you know i was just focused more on on currency because uh again like uh, my example is I'm Lebanese and uh, there's the Lebanese uh, pound, which basically is terrible right now. Like it lost so much of its value. Like it used to be $1 was 1,500 and now it's 40,000. So it's, it's pretty. That's over what kind of time insane. period just for the listeners? Like uh, it's a busy hyperinflating, but what, how long did it take for that change in exchange rate? It started in the summer of 2019. Uh, so it's been like three years now. And yeah. again, it's like the problems were like from before even COVID and then COVID came and, and you know, it's just on top of each other, like so many different uh, issues. But again, like, you know, Bitcoin is for everyone. That That's the, the thing we can all agree on. And I don't think like having a, a centralized group of developers, uh, you know, you know, co-opting it or taking it away from everyone, you know. Uh, so having these cheap fees is just really important in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And with that situation, then I guess you would have, yeah, friends and family that are being directly impacted and so on and so forth. Like, do you know to what extent cryptocurrency is becoming a lifeboat to them or are they interested or are they, is it still too speculative and, and weird or how how is that playing out from your point of view? Um, I haven't been much to Lebanon, um, but again, like there, it's really early still. I feel like this whole uh, narrative of digital gold or this kind of store of value really, you know, shook things up, like sent us back a few years. But I think it's it's starting to to come uh, more into uh, the limelight, you know. But but in Dubai over here, you know, there's so much, so many companies coming here about blockchain and, and you know, starting startups. And I think it's uh, like people know like in the back of their mind that you know bitcoin right now is for you know the utility is that you can speculate and uh, i don't know it's, it's it's not really like like it's all the rich people basically in their lambos uh and influencers on youtube you know all of them live here and you can like search them up but i think uh, you know having this for like not for not just the the top 10 percent or top one percent of the richest people you know having it for at least half the population is important 
Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree. I think things are, it's it's a slow and painful process. It's very frustrating in, in some sense mm-hmm. that you have to explain to people, you know, step by step. But on, on one hand, I kind of, I kind of, uh, you have to appreciate it because once upon a time it was trying to tell people about bitcoin they were like this is weird and i've never heard of this and i i already hate it (laughs) like that was it they just they don't they unfamiliar with it so that's the end of the discussion right there so now things have got to a stage where it's more like you talk to them and they're like oh that's that weird stock commodity slash speculation type casino and okay maybe in some respects it would be better if they'd never heard of it because you could get them on the right path straight away but on the other hand they have at least heard of it and when you're talking to them at least they know what's you know uh, they're not immediately weirded out by it so then you can sort of have to explain more the history and the whole concept of it being a, a currency and try and demonstrate that right so yeah it's it's just a trade-off i guess but i agree with you that i think people because you can only get so many people involved in speculation. That's basically what happens. There's a lot of people that want to speculate and gamble and throw away their money. But at a certain point, people are like, I need to actually use this. If I can't pay for it, what it, what it, what is the point? And I think that's, yeah, we're sort of capping out uh, about on the amount of speculative fervor. So so things will trend back towards coins that are, are building uh real adoption so speaking of that uh speculation let's have a look at the prices this week crypto bear market still in force i was saying we're close to the bottom last week so of course it went down a bit further usd 109 dollars and 84 cents one bdc buys 175.4 bch so we're down a little bit on that ratio uh and one ethereum buys 11.7 bch so down a little bit on that ratio too but only a, a very slight bit ethereum has been struggling ever since the merge it has been dropping against btc so the grand hype about that just completely failed uh, to materialize so i guess we've already talked about it a little bit in terms of speculating and which coins and stuff you own but do you have any other specific insights on how you handle the financial aspect of of cryptocurrency like how you deal with volatility or how you explain it to to people that ask so for for the price, uh, I'm I'm used to looking at the price every day, um, but again, like some sometimes I can go like a week without looking at the price because again, like I've done my research and you know I'm I'm kind of convinced you know um, adoption is the way to go. Like again, like with the whole Bitcoin thing, okay, they can do their store of value thing for a while, but again, you're gonna need adoption, and then uh, there's the, been like some discussions about like look at the folks at, at bch like what they're doing and uh again like with the price it's been pretty bad recently <laughs> i'm not gonna lie you know 110 dollars now um but again like there is this uh, kind of i don't want to say theory but like we're really we're early into the like we're like bitcoin back in 2013 but like in an alternate universe where we're not the only one you know there's there's a, a tons of altcoins now i think twenty one thousand of them and uh, again, like price is, is again, this bear market is important because people get to work and get to, you know, show off what they're doing, you know, uh, and maybe in the next time, you know, we'll have so much more like, like these five years have been really important as a development to make Bitcoin Cash more usable, more user friendly, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I think, uh, you know, if we keep going this way for the next five years, 
price will be higher like <laughs> that's just at least the, the way i see it yeah i think you made a really good comment i saw the other day where you were saying about if you consider from 2009 to 2017 after the fork okay that was like eight or nine years so then you could say okay if you make that one sort of era then if you take the second era of bitcoin cash you kind of reset the clock well then it would be another eight or nine years let's say to 2025 maybe and then it would be from that point you could kind of judge judge it because even though there was a certain respect that things didn't start exactly from zero in 2017 because obviously there was already wallets and there was already community and already people that understood about bitcoin and so on and so forth but on the other hand some parts of it did have to start from zero because you had all people dumping the coins from the other side of the fork and you had to uh recoalesce create new community forums that were busy being disrupted and so on and so forth so there was actually a lot that had to get even those first three or four years of uh maybe three years of bch development things like adding the new address format and getting everyone standardized on that changing the difficulty algorithm like loads of things had to be built just to handle being in this situation like you say of being bitcoin bdc or bitcoin in 2013 or 2014 it didn't have any competitors like that it didn't have any uh direct forks that it was competing with and it didn't have uh, even that much of a field of other coins to compete against certainly not well-funded ones with <laughs> millions of dollars of vc money so it is uh, a different yeah an alternate universe kind of world and yeah we have to find a way to stand out from the crowd um overall i think so speaking of that we've got google accepting crypto is the first news topic of the day cnbc publishes article google selects coinbase to take cloud payments with cryptocurrencies and will use its custody tools and then these key points here say google will start allowing a subset of customers to pay for cloud services with digital currencies early next year in addition google said it would explore using coinbase prime a service for storing and trading cryptocurrencies coinbase will move some of its applications to google's cloud from amazon web services so uh this is to me this is kind of a a fail by google to be honest they are getting involved in crypto at the end of 2022 and they're not even doing it themselves how do they not have their own tech department with hundreds of engineers cracking away on crypto like it's just bizarre to me that they are outsourcing it to coinbase especially this last service of this last uh, point here about coinbase will move some of its applications to google's cloud so it sounds like they realized well crypto is huge because coinbase is actually a pretty big company so instead we're going to try and win them over by a client as a client and to do that we've said to them oh we'll we'll use crypto we'll get into it's not even like they're interested in crypto for crypto's sake they're interested in using it to try and get some business out of coinbase it just seems like such a tremendous oversight by these so-called tech giants what what do you think of this uh this <laughs> this uh, occurrence honestly it doesn't like it's not so promising again like as you said you know having coinbase accepted and it's not really google that accept that's accepting it like google could easily accept crypto if they really wanted to but again there's this idea of 
you know, they want to be happy with like the, the banks and, you know, they don't want to disrupt the currencies because maybe the regulation will come hard on Google before accepting it. Again, it's a bit of a, a fine line. But I think like this is kind of, I think the announcement was done during the BTC Amsterdam conference thing that they had going. That that was like the big announcement, apparently. But I don't think it's it's that important because like the momentum uh, of, you know, back in the day when Steam was accepting Bitcoin and then Wikipedia and then like all of these different ones, you know, having them accept it was so much better for Bitcoin than what's happening now. Now it's just kind of like a, trying to get some news, you know, f- uh, free advertising. Um, but again, I don't think it's that, that big of a deal. You know, it's still going to backfire on them. Again, yeah, Coinbase is a, is a pretty big company. So uh, I think just, you know, trying to get users to more uh, Coinbase users to to like opt in for Google services. Maybe that's the way they're doing it or maybe vice versa. Yeah, it's such a strange thing because, I mean, I guess people think of Google or Facebook or, you know, Amazon as these big innovative tech players, but maybe that was true 10 years ago. Maybe that's how they got big, but it's not how they stay big. And you can really see that in the fact that those companies have not been crushing it on the crypto. Where have they been? For the last 10 years, you know, where in 2015, I know for a fact there was obviously uh, talks at Google. I think even Mike Hearn went and did a few blah, blah, blah. Like pe- people were aware of crypto. It's not like they had never heard of it. They were interested. Maybe they weren't that interested, but they definitely were aware of it. And then why wasn't there some little subset of Google that was just spun up as like, this is our little crypto? Because they have all this other stuff, right? They have ai and they have you know drone package delivery and all kind of cutting edge stuff they have their little incubation teams to work on this stuff why wasn't there one for crypto it just seems like they it got stamped out maybe they are too close to the government and the government was like i don't know about that maybe the legal team said look let's play it safe maybe you know maybe the culture maybe even the company culture was a bit there was a few too many people salty about it oh i don't like this scam or something and despite being so-called innovative that wasn't really what happened right it's kind of bizarre to think about but i think people have a bit of an outdated idea if they think that google or amazon are on the cutting edge of anything these days right certainly yeah, it's true. I, don't, I really don't think uh i don't think they're you know, their focus was on that. I think they, their focus was on bigger things, like, again, like Google, like really focused for a while on Android, on smartphone development, you know, that's a much bigger market than, than crypto in general. So again, you know, kudos to them, you know, they've been uh, developing, you know, making amazing tech, amazing uh, stuff like that. But again, like, I feel they might be too close to the government that they're not really like, uh, you know, allowed to experiment freely like, like us and think freely, you know, uh, to discover your own coins, your own crypto. That's right. I wonder if Alphabet, like Google's parent company, has a like 10-year plan with crypto cuz Alphabet seems like a very behind closed doors. We're just going to like come up with a business plan and then do it. Especially if you take a look at like YouTube, right? I don't think YouTube has done anything positive for YouTube in like 5 years now. They just keep doing more things that make people dislike they them. They made that clips like which is just shittily like copying TikTok or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. And But if Alphabet does decide like, okay, this might be garbage now, but it might be good in that five to 10 years, depending on how much uh, foresight they have, I guess. 
Well, it just seems to me like there's so many avenues that they could have been involved. Google could be running some Bitcoin mining farms if they were onto it. They could have integrated it with their Google Pay stuff and the payment stuff. They could have released their own Google wallet that let you, basically everything that Coinbase, they could have Google crypto custody, like everything that Coinbase has done. They could have hardware wallets, right? There's so many different things that they could have easily would have been a slam dunk to get involved in and they didn't google would be good for hardware wallets too because the whole reason like graphene os uses the pixel phones is because of their uh, titan 2 chip i think which is like a hardened down cryptographic chip so i could definitely see google taking that route and it's already integrated in their phone yeah jeremy you should <laughs> you should consult them on this or something. make me the product manager <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly google ring me ring me up uh, but i only accept payment in crypto so uh you're gonna have to get you're gonna have to make that happen if you're gonna want my <laughs> my ideas you know yeah <laughs> uh, well I, I don't know we'll see but it certainly seems to me like that the crypto for payments part that is kind of getting in there okay very roundabout sort of way you can pay for maybe some subsection of our cloud services sort of similar to what tesla did right where they were like we're gonna allow you to buy a little whistle in dogecoin or something and maybe it wasn't a smash hit it was a bit more of a pr grab but at least it got everyone kind of the idea of okay transacting in crypto commerce is happening that kind of thing is, is sort of happening and i agree with what you're saying too about they uh, if they announce that at these conferences it seems more and more like these bitcoin bdc conferences they need they need to have things to announce to get get hype but there isn't much to announce it's like these lame like even uh i think of uh what was it called bdc 2021 with uh in miami with um What's his name? Uh, no, Bukele announcing uh, uh, legal tender, right? That was huge. Everyone was like, oh, look how this is kicking off. And then one year later, they were like, we're going to announce these volcano bonds. And and they just didn't end up doing it every, like you can't keep going bigger and bigger when we're going to announce the next biggest thing. They've run out of big things because big things are not happening, basically. All right, next, next thing we've got is BCHN is working on UTXO commitments. So... This one's a bit of a, a bit of a technical one. This is the protocol level stuff, but for people who don't know, in the Bitcoin blockchain, you have all the transactions are all listed there, and the most key ones are the ones that have not been spent yet, right? So if I send some money to Ford and he sends some money and he sends that money to Jet, well, he might use the money I sent him as an input to send the money to Jet. And after that, the money that I sent to him is is gone, right? Because that's that's how it works. If I give the money and they give it away, then then it's gone. So the coins that are left, uh, which are possibly sort of spendable, which are sitting in everyone's uh, wallets, are called the unspent transaction outputs. And for a long time, people have, well, since Bitcoin existed, really, because it's actually written in the actual white paper, people have thought, okay, this is one way that we can help to scale Bitcoin to more and more people because those ones that are possible to be spent are are the most important ones from the, you know, if you're going to like have a subset and you're going to call prune, you're going to throw out some of the old ones or perhaps you're going to, 
store them in like less accessible computer memory, for instance, then you just want the UTXOs. So the idea for UTXO commitments is that if you get a list of all of the available coins and you make a hash, like a tag that describes that set of UTXOs and you put it inside the block, then you can have nodes that start on the network be able to um, start with, instead of starting with block one and what transactions were in that and then block two and block three and slowly building up a history of the money that's available right now. Instead, they can kind of do it in reverse and they can start with what is the money available right now and then you can already be processing new transactions like instead of your node taking three days to catch up to the history in the first hour it can have okay we're at the current state of affairs and then slowly backfill in the rest of the the information so this idea of utxo commitments has been around for a while and actually it's already in bitcoin verde and it's going to be coming in bchn and i'm sure the other node implementations are looking at it too and this could be massively helpful not only for letting people start up nodes quicker but in the long run if Bitcoin is going to be scaling to billions of people. Well, we're going to need these kind of scaling technologies, which, of course, incidentally, Bitcoin BDC is not looking at at all. And they're going to be way behind the game when or if they ever start being interested. So, yeah, I think this is a huge uh, leap forward. And I think the protocol developers have been crushing it on on that front. So, Fawad, what do you think about the whole protocol development obviously you're, you're in a lot of the groups how much do you pay close attention to what the node developers are up to um i'm not that uh, technical into um yeah i'm not a developer um i'm more on the business kind of side more on the you know um commerce kind of side but i think uh, i've been following what they're doing it looks interesting you know i know that bitcoin cash has different uh node implementations uh i i try to run a node now i have one running uh, I think it's important to, you know, keep uh, everyone's ideas flowing. You know, uh, again, it's been it's really a tragedy what uh, our Bitcoin uh, has done. You know, I'm, I'm permanently banned. I can proudly say <laughs> I got that badge a long time ago. But I think, uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash is like, it's really great. I, I really love it. You know, um, with this UTXO thing, I, I'm not too sure how that relates to any hedge, but I've, I've tried any hedge there. There. Um, alpha and it's been really really good uh, and i think next week actually the bch bull beta releases and uh, i think that would be really great you know again th there's the flip starters and stuff like that some of them haven't been able to get off the ground because of uh, the price volatility and stuff like that but again i think this uh, you know would be a great change uh, to be added to all the wallets and stuff like that including like i actually heard about the bch bull that you might actually be able to in the future like take out uh, like like end the contract or something like that like whenever the merchant would need it so it's not only time locked so i think that would be great yeah exactly great uh, yeah the utxo stuff is not uh directly related to this i guess it's more related in the sense of well if you're going to have something like these on-chain contracts and so on and so forth you got it you got to be planning for it to go big right you the worst 
thing you want going to have happen is is if you make something super cool and everyone wants to use it and momentum starts going and everybody's piling in and then you run out of scalability and either like your nodes start shutting down or which is incidentally what's been happening on bitcoin sv or you have uh you know the fees start spiking and suddenly you're in a disaster there right you need to it's just competent engineering essentially is to plan for the future and to have a long headroom and uh scalability before you need it so obviously bitcoin cash has unfortunately done a poor job of generating that demand at least to date but it seems like those solutions are are starting to appear and certainly with the bch bull yeah we'll we'll be talking about that on the show uh for sure and getting in some experts to come and uh tell us all about it because that any hedge stuff is super exciting i think for me it's just really important to focus on the idea that this kind of protocol level development for utxo commitments uh is the kind of thing that you it needs to tick away in in the background right you can't just flick a switch and suddenly get get this stuff going for instance if there's a part of your ecosystem like you don't have enough liquidity on exchanges well if everybody gets hype about that in two weeks you can have an explosion of everybody trading on an exchange right there's no actual prerequisites that you need to have in place but protocol development is not like that at all if another coin decide like for ethereum did the merge recently right that was a like five-year project at least it's not like anybody else who wanted to compete with that could just oh we're just gonna copy that in no you need to already have the developers need to do it you need to review it you need to code it into all the node implementations you need to get everyone bought in and then even once you do that like with the any hedge stuff uh that that was a result of the changes from the previous year so the changes get in and then it takes another year for everybody to build the actual apps and front ends and what and then it probably takes another year for it to get slick from when it was first in in beta phase so having this that that's one of my favorite things about bitcoin cash is that i think it has some of the strongest protocol development that nobody really understands or knows and we're going to see the payoff for that over the next few years so like we were talking about cash tokens as well recently that's that's just the next thing you know this last thing is or it's like the next thing's already rolling out so i'm i'm super excited about about all of that uh stuff so actually then it's a good uh opportunity to ask if you're not as technical and on this show i have a lot of sort of developers or more technical people what do you look for how do you assess between the different coins how do you know to have confidence in these sort of bitcoin cash ideas or engineering as opposed to something that you would read somewhere else what do you what are you looking for or do you just think well this seems like a smart community so they probably have smart devs how do, how do you differentiate them in a way okay so First off, uh, I think Satoshi really uh, designed Bitcoin so well. I mean, th this UTXO thing, he's been working on it even before Bitcoin. He was, In one of the forums, he was saying that he's been working on smart contracts before Bitcoin and added smart contracts for Bitcoin back in 2008 or 2009. And I think, uh, again, like one of the reasons that I believe in this community so much is I found uh, like, a, like a home. You know, I found some really, you know, smart people, some people I can relate to, some people... Uh, right in those telegram groups 
And, uh, you know, we've really been like slandered, you know, the Bitcoin cash, you know, since 2020, I think in just two years ago, just imagine two years ago, we were at number three on coin market cap. And uh, it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, but, but, but again, uh, I've been watching all the episodes uh, of, the, of the show. I think I, I mentioned that once. Uh, I kind of like, you know, kind of can relate to see like, okay, there's this guy working on this kind of thing, I don't know where, and another another place. It's important to have people, you know, working on what they're doing in their community. There was this discussion a few days ago about having a leader, if that's important or not, you know. Again, with a decentralized com community, I don't think we need a leader. Again, being charismatic is, is a pretty important uh, trait just to have in everything, not just, uh, you know, in the leader-slave dynamic, you know. And I think, uh, you know, when I was watching those shows and stuff, not I haven't noticed that there's that kind of leader. Like most of them just are just chipping away, working on on their kind of thing. And I, I believe in that, you know, because once you try to like brag too much and say, I've been working on this and that and that and that, you have, really haven't been focusing all your efforts on one thing. There's only uh, so much focus or effort that you can put on one particular thing to make it good. You know, if you focus on too many things or try to talk too much, uh, there's not so much uh, being done. So I just know that things are being done and, and we can like verify that. Yeah, exactly. And it's certainly the case that, yeah, crypto, the whole point of being decentralized is, yeah, there is no leader. If there is a leader, then that implies either a permission or a hierarchy of some kind. So you've already, <laughs> decentralization is already a bit out of the window. And what a lot of cryptocurrencies have is this sort of weird spectrum of, um, <laughs> you might have a leader in the sense of somebody who is like um, Emin Gunsur or whatever his name is in AVAX is that who I'm thinking of who he's the CEO of the AVAX like corporation. He <laughs> is literally all just flows up to him. And while technically, okay, they have other pieces of the ecosystem that are not uh, bought into that. If they went boom, that would be kind of it. Like all the protocol developers all the marketing connections, all the most hype stuff, where it all sort of revolves around that. And then you have something like Ethereum where, okay, Vitalik is not technically the sort of CEO or leader of anything, but he is kind of more of a figurehead in the way that he's well-known and associated with that coin and is sort of hyping it up. And he has been involved in the, a lot of the details in the past. I'm sure he's very influential. If he says we should go in this direction, probably carries a huge amount of weight the bch is one of the bet obviously gets attacked for being roger veer being the in charge of the whole coin but once you actually look into it less than almost any other coin does bch have any one person who is critical to the whole uh project except maybe btc probably they're in a similar kind of spot but uh well i guess they have the core devs but and blockstream so yeah, it's it's okay. All right. Well, that's that's reassuring to hear then that the community is giving the impression that it is decentralized in that way. That's that's very good to hear, and it makes sense that that would provide uh, technical comp confidence in it. Okay, so tell me about Dubai. I have never even been to Dubai. I've traveled around the world a decent amount, but I've just never had been through even like on a connecting flight or anything i've never been to dubai i know absolutely nothing about it but you've been running some bch meetups there and obviously have a good sense of how crypto is going like you said with the influences i don't know do you see richard hart out on the street or something what's crypto like in dubai 
it's a place that uh, you know it, it's China like Dubai is a place where you know it's really innovative um, you know the leaders of Dubai you know really focused on you know making it a prosperous place that you can come and opportunities like there's this is there's kind of like the American dream in a way that's actually happening here like like if you hear about so many people coming to Dubai and and they're really focusing on making it a place that you actually enjoy living in they have this Dubai 2040 project you know about making the the happiest city on earth all that kind of stuff you know they're really ambitious and uh, you know you get all kinds of people i i hosted the bch meetup and you get people that haven't heard of bitcoin people that have people that heard of bitcoin cash some people are in the ethereum bandwagon but not a lot of them have done their 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 research or their history on on crypto like they, whenever they join that's when you know everything else that happens they know about but they don't see the past so like i was speaking to someone in one of the meetups and he was a big fan of ethereum for all the smart contracts and stuff like that and then i told him like do you know that bitcoin actually had smart contracts and vitalik wanted to build ethereum on bitcoin and he didn't even know that so again like we're so early i think you know all these things that are going to be in the history books in the future and you know in dubai uh there's not a lot of uh, adoption, I would say. Again, there's a lot of speculation on crypto, stuff like that. Um, I've been following a few things here and there. Binance have a really big uh, footprint here, you know, recently. On the Burj Khalifa, they actually put a uh, advertisement on the huge LED screen on the tallest tower in the world. And, uh, you know, um, it's, still, it's still pretty early. But, uh, you know, having this shift of mindset to a peer-to-peer electronic cash to a currency will happen, I think, because in Dubai, basically, uh, the currency is the United Arab Emirates dirham, and it's pegged to the dollar. So whatever the U.S. does, we got to follow. And uh, in 2008, the the crisis really hit Dubai big, like Dubai almost went bankrupt. They actually did uh, until they got kind of got bailed out by by the capital of, of uh, the, Abu Dhabi. And it's kind of a uh, long story in itself. But yeah, the scene is, is kind of like you know it's a hub like dubai is around everything you know if you check the map you're close to india you're close to europe kind of you got africa and uh, i've been hearing uh, some things about uh, maybe making a conference here in the future you know uh, I've, been, I've been working on, on it uh, for a while now and i think in dubai you know you kind of get that as i said you know diversity of people and uh, once they learn about something, they're going to bring it back to their own country. And that's how, you know, you get more adoption. Yeah, absolutely. I I certainly do have that impression of Dubai, even though I've never been there. But I have a couple of mates who are sort of big on it or who've lived there or moved through there or something like that. And it, it sounds like it might be the kind of place where there is a heavy, uh, like, expat community and i don't know about in in dubai uh specifically but at various places around the world you tend to there tends to be a sort of expat like stream or kind of layer that is going on separately to what's going on locally right because the locals you know they grew up there and they went to school and they have their mates and they know you know their grandparents grandparents like bought the house there and whatever and then you have people who just come in and they just internationally and buy 
a natural process they end up meeting more people who are international right because they've got that in common or we're away from home or they hang out at the similar places or they know okay i i need to be more sociable so then they make some friends who then introduce them to other friends and it just turns into this kind of expat uh network which is really fun to be a part of and dubai seems to me like one of the places with the biggest network of that the biggest percentage of the population that is in that uh in that kind of frame of reference versus the the local amount so i don't know if that also plays into it like you're saying in helping people think innovatively or be interested in in spreading ideas back yeah that's back right on. i mean in in dubai you have 90 percent of the population is expats and only 10 percent is locals so uh, again like dubai uh has again you know you, you're getting people from all around the world they want to come to dubai you get that you, you know you get the nice weather uh, you know that kind of like hot uh, summer kind of weather you get the beaches you like in that picture there that's the burj al-arab that's the only um seven star hotel in the world and uh yeah again have like, you been there <laughs> have you stayed uh, yeah, there? yeah yeah I, oh you have. I have yeah okay yeah, yeah. um how was it <laughs> we stayed one night there it was like unbelievable like I don't know how to, how to describe it. It's it's really nice. It's actually an island. So like there's a road that leads to that little piece of island where they built oh, that. So yeah. it's kind of extravagant. You, you, get, you get to see all kinds of supercars all around. Uh, you know, literally every day you see a supercar. If it's a Lambo or a Ferrari or Rolls Royce, the new Range Rovers are everywhere. You know, it's, it's just that kind of life. But again, uh, you know, having this kind of crypto scene that has obviously brought so much money to Dubai and they're kind of like open about the idea, you know, because again, there's been discussions about maybe making a currency that's, you know, you know, maybe, you know, having the Saudi currency with the Dubai currency together or something like that. Cause honestly, it's not sustainable to just keep the peg because every single peg in history has failed. And I think the peg has been going on for around like, 20 years now so again I'm, I'm not too worried you know do i know what they're doing and but again you know having this kind of decentralized money or or kind of like something away from what governments can do is really important that's why i chose bitcoin cash yeah it sounds like with the peg it goes back to what you're saying about stable coins i mean there's nothing new under the sun maybe crypto has its version of stable coins but fiat currency also has its own version of stable coins where they're pegging to uh, different currencies and uh, yeah eventually those things uh blow up when you have people who want to have their own financial control and then if they peg it to another currency either the underlying currency devalues or the local government has some situation that they can't handle with maintaining the peg or the outside investors find a way to blow it up one way or another for some profit uh there's, there's always there's always a problem and so tell me about your meetups then so you've run what one or, or more meetups how many meetups yeah so it's it's been one meetup uh i saw the what the website called meetup.com and there's a group there that I think uh, uh, can started, uh, you know, from Satoshi's Angels. They have that. So I, I contacted them on Telegram uh, to make a, because the, the last con, the last uh, meetup was in 2019. And uh, we, we made one in uh, August of 2022. It was pretty successful. You know, a few people showed up. It was kind of like a short notice kind of thing. Um, it's kind of it's uh, you know everyone is trying to make money from crypto and they're not really focused on trying to use it 
and and I've seen the, the great work that you know people have like Sunny in St. Kitts have been doing or uh, you know all, all around the world like you, you have Argentina I saw the flip starter uh, Venezuela uh, places in the US um, you know having an adoption like this in Dubai I don't think would work because in Dubai you know it's all about the, the companies that like there's companies that own a lot of shops and all the shops basically are in malls. So there's a mall structure where the mall itself gets a certain like percentage of, of your sales. So having, you know, they would need to get their share. And if you accept crypto, again, you're kind of like not going along with the structure. Like there's a 5% VAT that you need to consider, stuff like that. Um, but for a while, Dubai hasn't had any taxes. But again, they're starting to bring taxes. You know, the 5% was introduced in 2018. Uh, and then they're thinking of bringing uh, corporate tax. So uh, again, but there's no income tax over here. So it kind of makes it easier on not having to like do all those kinds of tax reports at the end of the year. I don't know how that's like. Yeah, so then maybe, I think, you know, go on. Yeah, I was going to say just again, I think there's a top-down structure that we need to implement. Like you need to go and find the people who are really in charge of something and say, okay, how much do you want to accept crypto? Like what percentage would you be comfortable with? And I don't think that has you know started yet until maybe we see some kind of disaster with the currency. We don't know. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. It sounds more like, okay, some places the strategy is more like you get like the government sort of follows the people where if you can get a local thing going, then the politicians will take notice and then it sort of trickles up. And then some places, like you're saying, especially maybe in this case with the economic uh, arrangements or the co commercial establishments, that it is more sort of centrally controlled. And so what it actually probably needs is somebody like one, one person who is really keen and who just happens to be well connected into the right uh, arrangements and then maybe th that one person could make a big difference but the thing is there's not many of those people and they obviously also have to have their own interests or their own reasons to get involved and then if they do it we can then spread around to everyone else so it might be the case yeah that once somebody sees a really big opportunity for something they can put it in there but until that time it might be kind of stagnant in terms of grassroots adoption i guess yeah that does that does kind of sound reasonable reasonable to me all right well hopefully you have some more uh meetups soon and definitely i'll always be interested to hear how it goes i think meetups are actually a very important uh part of crypto and they're sort of undervalued because even if you just have three people or five people at a meetup that's not simple to get a few people to show up but the people who do show up are open-minded and willing to engage right somebody might like we were talking about doing the research before somebody might spend 10 minutes online or even hours online and not kind of see through the fog but if they can talk to a real person they can get a much better sense of what's actually happening in crypto what it's about and in a natural group dynamic that you get from having a few different people they naturally see a variety of perspectives as well too like obviously you're bringing one as the meetup organizer but then if two other people show up then they're going to be kind of weighing up each other's ideas as to like what coins do they like and why and how did they find that and i think that that's a very healthy process for people to go through so i guess any of the listeners uh, if you're in dubai <laughs> look out for this next 
look out for this next meetup for sure, right? All right, cool. We got next one up is 3D printing. So this is something else you've been uh, involved in here. Something else I also am aware of, but know very little about 3D printing in the last few, because I can remember hearing about it. It was definitely been an idea, been around for a couple of years, but it seems like it's starting to get to the that sort of early mainstream type of vibes where it's cheap enough and that people can have a 3D printer at home and you can make stuff that is not like terrible. Obviously, when it started out, I think nobody knew how to use it and so on and so forth. Uh, so people have been starting out making 3D printable Bitcoin cash stuff. I've got an example here of a little like phone stand with the BCH logo on using 3D printable things, which is a collection of open source .stl. I assume that's like the .txt file for printable stuff like phone stands earbud cases poker chips guitar plectrums and so on and so forth shout out to natoshi sakamoto who uh involved in coordinating some of this but you've been running this tell me about 3d printing and bitcoin cash yeah so um my last obsession was 3d printing before crypto and uh, 3d printing you know, there's been this uh, idea that maybe someday every house is going to have a 3D printer. You know, it's kind of like there was that so much hype back then, like in 2013, I think was the peak of the hype. Like the stock prices of, of uh, 3D printing companies were like through the roof. And now they're like 90% down from what they were in 2013. So it, it was kind of like a huge hype that didn't really materialize. Everyone was saying that 3D printers were going to become as ubiquitous as uh, microwaves or something like that. Uh, I don't think that happened, but yeah. Uh, and there was the uh, a really interesting Netflix documentary called uh, Print the Legend. It's still there on Netflix. You can watch it about 3D printing. And it goes back to like uh, the early companies. Uh, like, for example, uh, there was 3D Systems. They were the first people to invent uh uh, 3D printing in 1981, Chuck Hull, he invented it. And basically it was called stereolithography, which actually uh, is the, the dot .stl, that's where it comes from. Uh, and I got into 3D printing uh, in the pandemic. Uh, so I bought a 3D printer uh, and I basically printed the, these uh, like face shields and I'll print also like the, uh, you know, when you would wear a mask, your ears would hurt a lot. I'll print some of those uh, and distribute them. Uh, it was interesting, like, uh, and I've been improving my CAD skills where basically you can add the logos on pre-existing files. And, uh, you know, having that Bitcoin cash, I think that's the phone stand that I printed. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't have any green filament to, to do it, but uh, basically um, the volume two just came out today. Uh, we can print all kinds of stuff uh, with my 3D printer. I have it over there. Um, and there was this whole controversy about 3D printing uh, in 2013 also was when the first person printed the gun with it basically there was like a lot of controversy with the, with the u.s government and uh, i think that's also highlighted in the documentary um it's interesting because like that's basically an industry where the government really uh, hit hard on them with crypto it's kind of like been some acceptance here and there but i think now is when we're really going to know how, how far the governments are going to go to to protect their currencies and try to hit hard so I, I think i don't think the bear market like 
has ended yet or, or has hit a bottom. I think it's still going to get worse. Um, but overall, like in the future, I think it's still going to succeed. On the uh, on the topic of like the printers becoming ubiquitous and in every household, I think it'll be kind of the same thing as like uh, like here. It's it's not like every household has a set of tools, but every dad has a set of tools. For example, like uh, and so there's there's like fire hazard risks with 3D printers, but I think the usefulness is going to make it so that if you if you do any kind of handiwork at all, uh, or prototyping or anything like that, um, I think, yeah, 3D printers will probably be ubiquitous, but it took, like, the, when was the Ender 3 released? Like, I think it took that to come out for people to be like, oh, I can do this for less than $200, and they're getting cheaper and cheaper, right? I think it's just got to hit a certain yeah. price point for people to be like, why not? It costs less than my monthly internet bill or something like that. And And on the on the the government getting at 3d printing i'm super interested to see what comes next because i know there's a bit of precedent like i think the original like single shot 3d printed gun file is now deemed illegal but the ghost gunner set up like the metal mill that they were selling like cody's company uh i'm pretty sure you can still buy and you just throw a chunk of metal in there and all of a sudden you have a an ar-15 lower uh, that's not <laughs> registered or serialized or anything like that. We were talking about IPF- IPFS on a previous episode. That some of those, the, some of those communities are now uploading their files to uh, uncensorable kind of platforms. So I don't even know. Even if there is regulation, I don't know how they'd enforce it. Like with VPNs and just with the technology that we have, I don't know how they'd ever track any of that. Yeah, it's got a lot of uh, you know uh, similarities to crypto. Again, like if it's your keys, no one can steal them. Yeah. Just the other day, I was like looking at keys.lol, and that's like has every single private key of every single address. But it's just so long; <laughs> it's kind of impossible to really, uh, you know, grab your 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 mind around it. It's just so much. Um, with three D printing, also, um, you know, you basically it's it's a really big community. So like, there's this website called Thingiverse where you can upload your files. Uh, and basically what's really cool about it is that you can remix a file. So for example, someone's already done, let's say, uh, you know, a stand for your iPhone. And then you want to add, for example, an Apple Watch component to it. And you can do that. And basically the community has been pretty active since 2010. Like you said, basically 3D printers are getting cheaper and cheaper. So it used to cost like hundreds of uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a 3D printer. Now you can buy one for like $200. And basically if you buy a 3D printer, you know, an experiment, it, it's it's actually really profitable. Like you can make things for super, super cheap. And even with what people have been doing is if you broke, let's say, I don't know, if your fridge stopped working and you need a piece to fix it, you can 3D print it. And basically it would have been cheaper. Like it would have paid for the price of your printer. And then basically you can sell your printer and you just made, made so much money. So I was running a 3D printing setup. Uh, I had a farm business called the 3D print farm. And I had like 10 printers, you know, stacked uh, making things. So it was, it was kind of uh, fun. You know, it's got some links to, to the crypto community. But again, 3D printing, you need to buy a printer. You need to buy the filament. And, it's you know, you got to learn how to slice the files, how to edit them, all that kind of stuff. With crypto, it's just so easy. 
you know, you, all you need is a smartphone and you get the Bitcoin.com uh, wallet. And I've seen some great developments by Paytaka. Uh, recently, they're going to release their iOS app finally so I can try it out. Um, you know, all you need is a phone like uh, for the Bitcoin cash register app as well. I think it's it's going to change the world, you know. Um, you know, having these 3D printing things as well have been really fun, but I think I, I switched my attention to something more important that might leave a, a better legacy. Yeah, so just walk me through, like I know the concept of 3D printing and I especially understand the idea that, okay, if you have a layered file of things, then you can just print uh, the atoms kind of at each level, right? I sort of understand that in basics but when you're talking about the filament so you have the obvious stuff that you use you put in the 3d printer right so i i guess there would be like when i think of it i see more examples like this example here that we've got which is this sort of this uh well i don't know what it's made but some sort of like plastic uh type of stuff but jet was saying about putting guns in there with uh chunks of metal and when i think of 3d printing i also think of uh spy kids <laughs> You know, there's a movie and they, they 3D print a hamburger. And it's like, well, to do that, you would need all the stuff, all the chemical elements that actually go into a hamburger, right? But I assume that people are generally using more generic uh, materials. But just walk me through how, can, how complicated other things you can make in terms of the variety of stuff you can put into it. Like, a, is it like a recipe, like a computer game? I want to make this certain thing so i need two br two bricks or two blocks of metal and one of plastic and one one of carbon graphene i don't know how does that work uh, so there's three different types of uh, 3d printing technologies there's fdm which is uh, like like you described like let's say this is a piece that's 3d printed basically it uh, it's it makes plastic you know many times just like lines so it like, lines all the way up to make it like this that's one way of of making it uh, and that's the the one that's most used today. Um, there there used to be another company called Stratasys. They were the ones who invented FDM printing, which is the one doing it by lines with plastic. Basically, all you need is a roll of plastic, like one point seventy five millimeters. It's a roll basically, and you feed the the roll to the printer, which then heats the nozzle to like two hundred fifty degrees, and just makes the thing. And uh, basically, it used to be so expensive because the company owned patents for it. So patents basically expire after, I don't know, 13 years or something like that. And now it's basically much more widespread. So that's why, uh, you know, you get 3D printing so cheap. There's another way you can do it with like resin. So basically a laser, um, you know, there's a printer that, let's say this is the printer. It goes into the resin pond and the lasers make it so it's like going upwards in a way or backwards, something like that. And uh, another uh, really expensive way to do it, basically it's called SLS printing, which is like the gold standard. Uh, SLS is basically you're fusing powder. So it's like a lot of powder, the laser cures the powder, and then you can make anything. Like you don't need to do any supports or you don't need to even need to like design the, the file to be 3D printable. You can literally put anything onto it and to make it itself. Right now, a printer like that would cost maybe like $25,000 because like that's the, the best you can find. But again, 3D printing, it, it takes, it, there's a learning curve to it. Um, but, it but I think it's, it's really changed the world, 3D printing. Once you watch that documentary, you'll be all obsessed over it.
no more Bitcoin Cash podcast or anything like that. <laughs> just because it's it's just a really nice uh, uh, thing, you know. So I enjoyed it. Uh, so Jeremy, with the what I was talking about, where they're just putting the block of metal into a machine, that's not quite the same as 3D printing. So there's there's two processes in the file. You have the STL file, which is essentially like the object and the vectors and just the, the, the physics and math behind the actual object. The measurements. Yeah. yeah. But then when you slice it, it converts that into essentially machine code for movements. And that's G code. And so uh, all, as far as I know, all CNC machines or like um, hobbyist CNC machines uh, 3D printers all use the same kind of set of instructions, and that's just different G-code. And so with the Ghost Gunner, uh, it's like you give it a, this block of metal, and it has a predetermined instruction set. And so it will just make AR-15 lowers constantly. It only does that one job. Um, but you could do the same thing, like with an stl file but then you have to deal with yeah like layer adhesion and the pieces coming apart and then you go into sls but then it's like is that the is the quality of the metal up to par and um even things with like fdm printing with uh, the support sometimes like i know the voron team which is just another hobbyist kind of 3d printer but you build it from the scratch or fr you build it from scratch uh, all of its printed pieces are made or designed in a way that it doesn't require support. So they're made to be printed on a flat surface, oriented in a certain direction. And um, I know there's also like just some of the software upgrades that have come out have improved slicing a lot better. Some of the instruction sets have gotten like there's just more computer science behind it now. I think people are incorporating algorithms into making the, the, the most efficient movements at the most efficient temperature and uh, it's definitely come a long way. So, so a way to, to describe it, to make it a bit easier, is you c basically with the 3D printer, you can, you're making a piece, you're, you're creating something, like a physical object that can be, like you said, like the gun thing, you can like add metal components to make it better. But basically it's a piece of plastic that you can design, uh, you know, whatever you want with, you can make the plastic and then use the plastic for something. A use case like for example that one that's uh, that's a phone stand and uh, basically 3d printing is a really iterative process so like let's say i'm, I'm i want to make a phone stand and i need to measure how how wide my cell phone is i do the first uh, prototype and then i print it and i see oh no it's too it's too narrow i need to make it uh, you know differently so it's keep it keeps on making uh, changes to the design to a, to a certain point, uh, I reached like 20, uh, the 20th iteration for it to actually work. So again, there's there's that similarity with, with the, uh, crypto and Bitcoin Cash about constantly improving. So 3D printing is, is not really good for mass, uh, like mass production. Uh, they've been trying to say that it's good, but it's not. Because injection molding is the way you make everything. Like with injection molding is basically, you know, uh, having a, a I don't know how to describe it. It's been a while, but basically a shape and then you just do it. Like it takes three like seconds stamping. to make one piece. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. stamping it, it takes, but with that three second piece, a 3d printer would take three hours to do. So it's pretty slow compared to, but basically the advantage of 3d printing is the iterative process of making a product better or like research and development until you reach the perfect product, which eventually you injection mold. But it could also be, 
for distribution, right? In the sense that this is what I imagine these uh, STL files, right? Is that if uh, Jet makes up uh, this uh, certain thing and he makes it up a certain way, well, then maybe once he's done the 20 iterations and he's figured out, okay, this is the perfect way to make this uh, widget, then he just emails me that file. I don't know how big one of these files is, but I imagine it's what, like a couple kilobytes or something. It's got to be like just, uh, you know, a like a binary, like text file, right? So then I get that and then I can just whack out, you know, one of those on my 3D printer. So instead of having to ship goods, well, that's where I could see that, okay, maybe it's not as good as... Uh, like the injection mold method. But if enough people had 3D printers, it doesn't have to be everyone. It could just be like Jeff was saying, it could be one guy on your street has one. So you can just go to that guy who's the 3D guy and you need a whatever. So you just go to him, you just look it up on Google. Okay, I need this thing. Bang, you print it and there, there you go, right? That's That seems like a more efficient way of doing it, just especially once the technology is developed a little bit little bit further basically yeah that's the way and uh, um you know with a 3d printer you can make a 3d printer isn't like this joke uh, <laughs> yes on the internet but you can actually do it and there's a company called prusa uh, prusa 3d they have a, a print farm of a hundred of sorry of 500 printers so they have 500 3d printers making parts of 3d printers to sell 3d printers to people so they have that whole open source kind of thing. They don't want to be central. Like they see they're centralized, obviously, but they have an open source approach to it where they sell you, like basically if a part breaks, you can fix it. You can print your part and, and kind of like do it like that. And 3D printing, because it's been expensive before, not everyone could have one. There was these maker spaces where you can bring, come in with a file and print. So that, like you said, that's how that's how it works. Uh, I wish I had just the capital to be like in an investor in one of these maker spaces or like just a tool library or something. Because I'd love to do renewable energy connected to a 3D printer where people exchange tokens for a print. Like that would be 10 out of 10 for me. That is like such a such an ideal setup. Like anyone shoots this library a message. They're like, hey, I want this done. They figure out the time estimate. They're like, okay, here's a token for it. It's like whatever the cost of the filament is, $2 or something. And you can actually measure the filament and do those micro like additions to a transaction and be like, okay, this is the cost of the product. When it's all said and done, when you come to pick it up, redeem your token for it. That's your proof of ownership. Then you get the part and you leave. Like that sounds so smooth and amazing and i just i want to see, i don't even care if i'm the guy i just want to see someone do that at some point that sounds sick so what yeah, about sure. what about something like food because like i said i always think of spike is do they print a, a hamburger and that's why i was kind of asking about before how many different materials like you're talking about these the filament and okay maybe you have some basic resin or whatever you can make a bunch of stuff out of that but what if i want to make something like a I don't know. What if I want to make a phone and I want to print it with a bunch of different materials in there? How feasible is it? The technology not quite at that stage or would I need too many weird raw materials or what's the hold up with that? Uh, so the, so there's uh, some use cases that are more important than others. Like another really important one has been dental, like dental work. Basically, they scan how your teeth look like your jaw and stuff, and they can make a special braces or I don't know, something like that. Uh, but for food, I think you can make uh, in the same way, like basically you have your, your pizza dough and then you can just run the G code, like, like Jeff mentioned, like which is the code of the machine going in a circle or in a square. 
and you know basically paste the ingredients so that that can work i've seen a few uh, like automated pizza shops that actually exist yeah uh, it's a pretty crazy world where we're living in now and i think it's it's pretty interesting like for food you can do that uh, for phones uh, again it, it's not that much mass adoption yet but basically you can you can do whatever you want but again it's not going to be feasible or like you can't go mass production with it you you have to choose uh, kind of choose pick pick uh, what's it called choose where you can use it kind of like crypto like where you can spend your crypto it's kind of a you know that barrier on, until it's widely accepted yeah okay so uh, i mean sounds like it sounds like it's still it's it's get it's getting there it's getting there with the 3d printed pizzas i love the i love the sound of that that's gonna that's gonna be because that's just gonna be i can just see that it would like people were talking about a microwave i think that's why it's a common analogy is because if you have it as a certain size and you had a certain i don't know uh building block ingredients that were all figured out and it became economical well then there you wouldn't need to uh cook ever again right like you can already just get ready meals but basically then if you have a 3d printer that can churn out ready meals for different you know uh, kind of food it will probably taste better as well too than ready meals so i think the biggest thing that's stopping that right now is when you in FDM printing, for example, want to switch filaments, there's like a purge block that you have to make. So because your filament runs through this uh, track, essentially, before it gets to the hot end, when you cut the filament and put a new roll in, there'll be maybe like, it has to purge at some point. So it has to get rid of what's been used. Um, and there are tools now, I think there's something called like the angry rabbit, which is made to pull out unused filament and then automatically feed new stuff in. Um, but I don't think like, I, I think I know the scene in spy kids that you're talking about. <laughs> and that, I think that would take like another 10 to 20 years to actually uh, nail down in the, in the same kind of way. But soon I posted a link to 3d printed food. They're using it a lot for pastries and candies. And there was also a European couple that now lives in a 3d printed house. I think that that yeah, was yeah. a concrete machine, but all the same. Just today, I was driving uh, next to Emirates Towers, and basically Dubai is like so innovative and stuff. There's a 3D printed home or a 3D printed office there. Like if you should search it, I was literally next to it today. Like basically, China has really been big into 3D printing. You know, with the basically 3D printing is making things in a layered fashion. Like basically, there's 3D printed homes where the concrete basically the it it, it extrudes uh, concrete, and you can basically make a house. That's how 3D printing is. Yeah, yeah. So it works. Crazy. And it just seems as well that again, it's maybe it's not quite there yet with what uh, Jet was saying, but it seems to me like eventually it will get to the stage that you have your 3D printer and it can just print out whatever, and it has the base uh, components of whatever things you need and there'll be a recycling method to it so that like i have here a mug right so i decide okay i don't need this mug i put it in my 3d printer microwave type thing it just like evaporates that into the base components and stores them in some slots your filament whatever and then i need something new so i don't need anything i can just be sitting in my empty room and whatever i need i just go i need this bam it prints it out and then once I'm done with it, I put it back in, it evaporates it, and I recycle those materials to build the next thing, right? That seems to me like where it would, once it got cheap enough and efficient enough and slick enough, 
that's the world that we're going to be in, which is pretty crazy. That's some sci-fi shit, but yeah good. i mean the other day i just posted on on telegram about uh, on the bch 3d printing there was a video i came across where you can turn uh, plastic bottles into filament for your 3d printer there you so go. basically that's, that, that's literally what it was and you can do it like instead of paying 15 dollars for a, a roll of filament just grab a few bottles that you already have or are not using and turn it into filament because because in some places you can't even like access you can't buy uh, through uh, filament because shipping is too expensive or maybe there's so much customs on this kind of stuff and you can just do it with with uh, plastic like this you basically make a machine there's an open source project that you can print the machine to be able to print with whatever material of plastic that you have God, this is so cool. So just to break it down for me then a little bit, to, just to bring it back to Bitcoin, kind of the next slide, we've got some like uh, speaker covers and some Bitcoin cash uh, spend and replace signs with a, like a QR code on it to pay people or to do donations or something about that. What's, what's in these 3D printing Bitcoin cash scene at the moment? What's, what are the most popular things for people to make? Uh, right now it's kind of early like uh, people are just discovering this kind of 3d printing bch community um something that's really amazing about bitcoin cash is that i really love is are the stickers and the closest thing to the sticker that might actually be better than the sticker is a sign so these uh, bitcoin cash spend and replace uh uh ones or, or there's another one that's bitcoin cash accepted here um these kinds of uh, prints are, are definitely gonna going to be circulating all around the world so that people can, even if they don't have a 3D printer, they can ask a friend to print it for them. Or maybe there's like some places that I would actually print Bitcoin Cash uh, um, stuff because basically stickers, eventually they run out of like glue or like basically they, they're like, oh, it doesn't look good anymore. You can remove it. But once you have something physical, you never want to let go of it. Like when I started 3D printing, every single print I would do, I would keep it. And basically <laughs> it got to a point where all the prints I've ever made, basically it's just taking a, it's a huge mess in my room and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the BCH 3D printing is just something that's so innovative. I don't think uh, other communities have really uh, focused on that. Um, because again, Bitcoin with, with 3D printing, you have uh, the free flow of information. I can send you a file uh, and then maybe you can edit it even further because uh, you're better at editing, for example, and you send it back to me and I can print it. So it's the same way where it's like Bitcoin Cash has that low transactions, uh, very fast transactions as well. Um, and this is just to like show your support for Bitcoin Cash. And I think it's kind of fun to do. Yeah. And I think also the Bitcoin Cash community is a bit more thinking about things in terms of those physical spaces because people are thinking through those use cases of going to a merchant and but like with the stickers, right, is a classic example, right, of people thinking, okay, we're in physical meat spaces in retail shops and making those transactions with proof of sale, uh, point of sale devices, that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, I think that's also why it's more in, in people's mind. And certainly this would be sick if we could come up with some really cool, yeah, 3D printed stuff that then can be easily distributed around and suddenly any, uh, you know, shop or, or wherever, like, then you can have adoption teams that go to people and say, hey, do you want to be part of this uh, BCH, you know, community, whatever. And it's like you, you get comes with free, uh, free merch, basically, where you get like, look, here's all the little like 
decorations and uh, useful little widgets and whatever to make this a part of your business. That sounds like a pretty cool way to stand out when talking to merchants. Yeah, and uh, basically um, to make one of these pieces, basically let's say for the Bitcoin Cash uh, accepted here sign, okay, it would cost basically around a dollar, like a dollar in, in basically material, that's all which is like really cheap and basically one printer can just keep going 24 seven and pump them out. And it, it's just so cheap to, to, to print these days instead of buying, like if you would buy a sign like this, what would it cost? Someone could sell it for 50 if they want instead of $1, you know, just got to flip start a, a bit of this stuff and we're off to the race, <laughs> you know, so very, very cool. So speaking of merchants, then let's talk about, so merchant of the week is actually you bestsellers.com cash so you created your own e-commerce uh site which i know you've been uh working away at for a little while walk me through the process of this why did you get inspired to make a site what are you selling what can people buy is it bch only all of that stuff tell me the journey of this uh this site um so basically um i had to create a website for another project i was working on uh, separate from bch uh, it was a store as well. So I was like, okay, I, I went through all this work to do it anyways. So I just cloned the, the website and then changed up all the, uh, you know, the logos, the content, stuff like that. Um, so I just thought about making a, a place where people can, you know, buy things with BCH only. So uh, basically, I'm, tr I'm starting to add more things. Like, for example, I added the green iPhone uh, just to, like, show the green, uh, the Bitcoin Cash kind of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, BCH, you know, you get the, the merchandise, like for example, the shirt or maybe the books. Uh, a lot of the books actually uh, over there are basically like recommended by Roger Veer. So uh, I've been watching lots of his content on YouTube, like the past interviews and, and ongoing ones. And it's just super interesting because I'm actually an economics major. So all this kind of like hits close to home, you know, having medium of exchange first then it becomes a store of value. And uh, again, I was experimenting with all kinds of plugins. Uh, I was able to get the zero confirmations to work and it's been working great. Um, again, like if you want to uh, buy things with Bitcoin Cash, you have an option now. Again, there's burstpurst.io where you can actually get a discount, but I really haven't tried that. Uh, I've heard some great things about it, but sometimes it wouldn't work or stuff like that. Um, so how do I handle shipping or order fulfillment? Basically, it's just I buy something from Amazon, like from Amazon.ae, uh, which is here in the, in Dubai, and uh, you get it the next day. And whenever I get it, basically, out my plan is to ship it out, uh, and the shipping is already like included in the. Uh, basically, there's a there's a flat fee, uh, which I set at fifty dollars. I think it's it's reasonable. Um, again, like you don't want to order just one thing. Like if you'd like to order something, order a few things, and it would make it a bit uh, more feasible. It's kind of like this thing with Laszlo and the the, the pizza. You know, uh, basically, it's a way to exchange. Like, okay, I'm willing to accept Bitcoin Cash for my fiat because, anyways, I'm buying something, and I'm, I'm basically not making lots of money. Honestly, it's kind of like a uh, it's very competitive pricing. Like I'm, I lose money on some things even. But overall, I think it's a it's a cool idea, um, and I thought that I'd uh, put some time into it. Yeah, it's awesome, and I 
I mean, I, do, I would be careful of losing too much money on it because if you are losing too much money, the, the whole project will fall apart and then nobody will be able to buy things. But it right. does, obviously, for retail buying stuff, there is going to be slim margins in terms of your overhead. It's essentially the premium that people are willing to pay to buy in BCH, maybe with a better experience or maybe with, you know, the ability to, maybe you can combine some 3D printing in here so you can get some custom stuff made as well too. That seems to me like that could be a good uh, crossover. I did, you used the site and I tested out, I bought, you've got a digital goods there for one cent. So I bought that to test it out when you launched it and it worked brilliantly. You know, it really just reminds me of how much better online payments is with with crypto the only reason it hasn't taken off well i guess two reasons is one there's just not enough pool of people that already have the wallet and stuff ready to go if you've got it all ready to go it's like bam it takes you know two seconds and the other thing is obviously the software development side of it because especially with how things got all diverted with bdc and where all this investing money and casino speculating is going if people were busy making slicker wallet integrations and website one-click payments and stuff kind of like uh, metamask but for more sort of transactional stuff not DeFi liquidity pools and whatever if they e-commerce plugins and whatever it would be amazing uh and i'm sure we will see that too it's really just a question of of time as those things slowly come to the come to the forefront of the market so yeah i guess people can check out your uh your site bestsellers b e s t s e l e r s dot cash and uh, pick up some stuff with Bitcoin Cash if you just earned some got got it fresh and you you want to spend some maybe and listeners who don't spend Bitcoin Cash much maybe they want to try it out and reassure themselves that all this medium of exchange stuff is not is not bullshit it is actually uh, all working all right we got stat of the week is this week uh, Ethereum now has greater than 51% or 54% of OFAC compliant blocks. So I guess obviously in the immediate aftermath of the merge, uh, the price didn't really do as well as the Ethereum hype uh, would indicate. And I think probably the Bitcoin BDC community also had a heavily vested interest in spreading what I'm going to say is FUD, but it's not even necessarily FUD. Some of it's just facts, uh, which is to kind of say, okay, you guys have switched away from proof of work and observing what effects that has had in the ecosystem. So part of that has been this whole uh, powwow over OFAC censorship that basically if the government is putting on blacklists of you can't send to certain people or you can't do whatever, then you've compromised censorship resistance. And what are we doing here with crypto in the first place? And Ethereum is somewhat more at risk of it because there was services that help people provide um, MEV, minor extractable value from, for instance, if I'm going to buy a certain token, if you're the miner, you can buy that token before I buy it, because you're in control of what goes into the block, and then sell it after I've bought it as well. So you can kind of sandwich your transaction. Yeah, you can take my transaction and put one of you, each of your own transactions on each side and then make a profit by front running 
you basically, right? So there's a lot of categories of things like that that you can do to make money as a miner. And so in order to, you know, exploit all that, there's services that help with block construction. I'm fairly sure is how it works. And then they, you know, make sure that the miners are making the most amount of uh, money out of that. But the problem is if those services are then complying with the regulations of willing to add censorship, then that essentially adds a layer at which the censorship can can get in there. And, well, seems like more than half of the uh, the nodes are now under that category. So there's, there's certainly some more nuance to what I was reading. I've got uh, linked here on the slides a really good thread on our cryptocurrency where there was a lot of back and forth with some people are saying, obviously, from a more like BDC kind of point of view, like, you guys are just straight up, you've already been 51% attacked and you're basically censored even though you don't realize it. And then there's more sort of Ethereum apologist kind of takes, which was more, from my point of view, kind of a bit of cope, but basically saying, oh, well, you know, the blocks are 12 seconds long. So if you have 51%, well, then instead of waiting 12 seconds for your tornado cash transaction, you wait 24 seconds. Ha ha, ha what's the big deal? Uh, kind of, but that's, I mean, to me, that kind of reasoning is a bit of cope because if it's already 54% today, well, in the future, it might be 99%, right? Like it's certainly not confidence inspiring and people were also kind of coming to try and say oh okay this is just fud of proof of stake like this was happening already on proof of work which it was but i don't think to the same degree and certainly people trying to say oh this kind of thing has happened on bitcoin well it's technically true that it did marathon uh mining pool also did this kind of ofac compliant blocks there was so much outrage in the community that they then backtracked and they stopped doing it which in the Ethereum community, it seems more they're like, this is fine, you know, with the dog in the burning house. So they're kind of screwing themselves by not pushing back on it a lot. I don't know. It seems like Jet's got a take on on this. Uh, I don't have much of a take. I just went to the website to see, you know, what... Because I don't, like, I don't really know shit about ethereum i mean completely honest so even the mev i was like confused what the hell that meant until you said minor extracted value but i i clicked off the include all blocks and it says 85 percent of relayed blocks in the past day are enforcing ofac compliance so i don't know what the difference between a relayed block is to a normal block but uh yeah like jason said it is all bad juju <laughs> certainly not going in the right direction for do you have any any take on this are you deep in the rabbit hole of of what let's prove a stake relaying blocks is and stuff i'm not that uh, advanced in that kind of stuff but it just makes sense that the government you know kind of like you can tell that ethereum is more and more centralized like i think at one point vitalik mentioned in one of the interviews i think he like slipped it out he shouldn't have said it but he told the Ethereum Foundation to sell like 20,000 or I don't know if it was 200,000 Ethereum um, at the peak, basically. Um, again, like having this kind of level of centralization and, uh, you know, you can tell that to get that big, they had to sell their souls or they had to, you know, somehow 
get with the government to approve a lot of things. And I think that's how it's, it's going. Like PayPal, I think recently also, I think last week was mentioned or something. I don't know if it was mentioned, but there's this $2,500 uh, fine for misinformation, apparently, that, that they're enforcing now. So I'm like, if you look at everything, what's happening in the world? They're trying to ban cash. Even cash is trying to be banned. So you can have all kinds of custodial bank accounts, you know, knowing all your transaction history. So I, I think it's it's kind of bad for Ethereum there. Um, again, it was, if you thought about it, they should have just stayed with proof of work and not moved to proof of stake. But that's the decision they made. And uh, it's it looks pretty bad, honestly. Like, uh, you know, having this time, I mean, even Roger uh, at one point, he uh, like had a node, a lightning network node or something. And basically, no one wanted to connect to that node. So, like again, that's centralization at the at the core. Like, there's no censorship. I mean, there is censorship there. So, like, uh, just something without censorship, something that you can, you know, even if uh, you have to, you know, get some, you know, attacks sometimes on you, or or like, you know, having uh, slander or like trying to like make fun of Bitcoin Cash, just take it lightly, like say, okay, but at least I'm not following this kind of rubbish thing the government is telling me to do. Because like, there's this quote, I think by Reagan or something, and it says like, uh, the, the scariest words in the English language is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> I think that's like the biggest uh, <laughs> yes. takeaway from that. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it, it just doesn't make too much sense having these blocks that are censored and i think the point of crypto was that you can do whatever you want with your money and that's what you should be able to do if you worked hard for like all your life 30 years 40 years like in lebanon you can't even take your own money back from the bank because basically all the politicians uh you know gambled away with the money or stole the money or all that kind of stuff so and the thing same thing is going to happen here if we have this kind of view where okay bitcoin is only like used by one percent of the world and uh, you know they're they're trying to make themselves the underdogs when we're really the underdogs. Like it's it's just it's a bit of uh, you know misinformation. I would say you know they're saying oh we're Bitcoin we're you know okay they have the name Bitcoin but they're not really representing Bitcoin. Hence the I mean even here for ETH same thing. They try to say that they're sound money, smart yeah. contracts, programmable money. It doesn't work. So I, I don't think it's it's important. Yeah, I think it's really critical that uh, to understand that, yeah, there's just, there was so much in this thread, there's just so much cope and sort of tech, like technical argument kind of reasoning, you know, when, once you get to the point that somebody is saying, well, well, technically this and this and this, and you're kind of like, okay, well, maybe even you're technically right that, you know, somebody would just put, put the tornado cash transaction in the next block but okay what if what if there's a string of blocks without that and okay maybe the lag from 12 seconds to 24 seconds is not a big deal but it's like a death by a thousand cuts you know once that starts to as well that's okay the goalposts just slowly slowly shift as it just nibbles away nibbles away until at the end of the day it's like, well it's not that bad if it's mostly since or whatever there just seems to be so much of that kind of reasoning so yeah while i'm certainly not an expert in all the nitty-gritty of this stuff it just certainly strikes me as i don't think the bdc community is wrong to 
point this out and the Ethereum community saying, oh, haha, you guys are just being alarmist is kind of the indicator that they've already lost because it, if it is alarmist, well, they should be the one being alarmed. But if it is an alarmist, they should also be the ones being alarmed, but they're not. They're just kind of like, well, it'll be it'll be fine or we've got this coming up or they, I don't know, they had some proposal to separate the block validate. But I don't know, there just seems to be too many areas where, yeah, their infrastructure, their community, they just, they aren't as hardcore. That's really what it comes down to. The Ethereum community, a bit more nice, a bit more easygoing and whatever. And because they don't have like the BTC maxi assholes, they, they just don't have a backbone to push back on this slow corruption of what they're trying to do. Uh, I think that's kind of what it comes down to to me. Anyway, uh, I don't know. That's just my take. Okay, community comment of the week comes from Lovely Day here. This one's a bit more in the uh, weeds of... Oh, here we go. <laughs> Jet, Jet's going to bring us in here with the Tornado Cash stuff. I don't know. Do you want to add something there? or? Uh, no, I went to go to the next uh, slide and I accidentally clicked the link. <laughs> okay, all right. All although, right. So, although yeah. if if you'll entertain me real quick, this was wild to me if we get rid of that and we go to the past to tokyo or something our we got 90 percent of relayed blocks enforcing ofac compliance there you go i was seeing somebody was uh complaining in the thread or saying something like oh ofac didn't require anybody to censor transactions but the nodes are just doing it to, on to be on the cautious side you know to be in compliance and it's just like you guys are already finished at that <laughs> point if it's like if it's just the the mere threat of maybe we're gonna want you to censor some things and you're already modifying your software and stuff and making it like it needs to be the completely the other way around it needs to be you need to say well force me and then they need to try and force you and you need to say fuck off no like if you're if you're already several uh, steps lost if you're kind of like uh it's similar to the environmental stuff that's what it seems like as well to me too it's kind of like well we can make it more environmentally friendly or lower power consumption so we should like not that anybody's requiring you to but if you're just if you're going to you know, bend over when the, you're going to jump when the government says jump, like, then what What are you even doing there? All right. So on that uh, sort of <laughs> topic, we had this uh, stream uh, posted to RBDC this week, live streams to explain rights plan to enable centralized coin theft on BSV, BCH and Bitcoin by introducing a cryptographic backdoor. We'll start and open your questions at 2 p.m. Uh, EST. So, uh, Greg Maxwell, the famed Bitcoin core or infamous perhaps uh, Bitcoin core developer and regular troll of the RBDC uh, subreddits came in to sort of comment about these uh, plans by Craig Rat that we talked about last week. He made some sort of comment. I can't remember what. It's not really that relevant. And then uh, Rick Falkbein, who I'm really glad to see he's a longtime uh, Bitcoin OG and people who don't know who he is can uh, look him up and find out what he's been up to. But absolutely brilliant guy. Anyway, he has been uh, commenting on the subreddit, which he does every once in a while. So he does keep an eye on the community. And he just uh, said, Greg, GTF, 
just get the fuck out of here. We don't want to hear your bitching and whining or trolling or whatever he was doing. And so Greg just hit back with, K, well, don't come crying to me for help when it goes poorly for you, which is just one of the least self-aware comments there could possibly be as if anybody would has any love lost for him. And lovely day here uh, came in with the crushing uh, blow, which said, when we came to you to ask for help to prevent congestion on BDC, you told us to fork off. I don't think any of us need your help or would expect to get any if we needed it. You seem to be following a different agenda than those of us who supported Bitcoin as peer-to-peer electronic cash. Note, I still welcome your participation in this sub. Hope you enjoy the lack of censorship, which we could not enjoy in our Bitcoin for the last six years. And this, to me, just summarizes everything, you know, about it, like we were just talking about with the OFAC censorship. The Bitcoin Cash community expects that we're going to do it the hard way. We can't ask anyone for help. We're not going to get any help, not from the government or not from the BDC Maxis or not not from anybody. We've just got to do it the hard way and uh, stick to this, stick to our guns, stick to our principles, which is a classic case of this Greg Maxwell. I mean, he's just trolling away. It's not really adding that much, but he, he, he isn't banned. He can shit talk all he wants. And obviously we're not afforded the same... Uh, opportunity uh when it comes to the other way around so i mean then he went on to say no it is censored and blah 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 but like the fact that you're there whinging about how it's censored like clearly it isn't because otherwise you'd be banned so um yeah i don't i don't know if this this is just a bit inside baseball i guess uh but yeah i don't know if i do you 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 post a bit on uh rbdc and like you said you got banned from uh, Bitcoin. Do you make much use of Reddit, or do you think everybody's just switched over to Telegram now? I think Reddit is a is a great uh, it's a place that that's used a lot more than Telegram, I would say, because I think they serve two different purposes. Because like Telegram is more of a WhatsApp kind of uh, thing, because uh, WhatsApp basically is huge like here in this region. Like uh, everyone uses WhatsApp. Not not much people use iMessage. Like it's not not really a thing, even though everyone has iPhones. But uh, having Reddit is the place where you can just post about things in different communities, obviously. But again, like with Bitcoin, you can't say some things, it, and like it's it's it doesn't it sound weird. I mean, everyone that uh, like wants free speech, it means you can say anything you want. And and basically with Bitcoin, like I was banned by Greg as well. I, I think uh, from from our Bitcoin when I when I mentioned something about the block size and like. It doesn't make sense. Like, okay, R slash BTC is a place where everyone can, like, even people from different coins come here just to discuss things about about with real Bitcoiners. Like, because right now no one's really a Bitcoiner. Everyone wants to make money, and it doesn't make sense. You know, I, I was kind of happy actually to see uh, Falk, Rick Falkovich. Sorry if I'm saying the name wrong, but because I, I I remember watching uh, his YouTube his YouTube videos. He had uh, the YouTube channel called We Are All Satoshi. Uh, he hasn't posted in a while there, but basically, like he really broke down the whole blockstream thing and how it's like going against the miners, and it, it doesn't make any sense. Like you go and talk to the people in R slash Bitcoin, uh, and they go they go all on about uh, you know um, consensus and all that kind of stuff. But there was consensus on bigger blocks. It's kind of crazy how the the narrative shifted, like there was like 90% of the, of the people who wanted the bigger blocks and then 
in some miracle they actually got away with it. Uh, it's it's kind of nice to see that um, you know Reddit is a good place for history. Like you can actually see history of what's happened over there over time. Uh, and I think what the BTC maxis or the people who control r slash Bitcoin, I don't I, I don't even think you can see who the moderators are. Uh, last time I checked on r slash Bitcoin, I don't know if you can see who they are. Like you get selected in a way, and it's like some shady process and that kind of stuff. So it's good that, that uh, you know, we try to preserve anything that's really important in r slash BTC for people to see because they're deleting uh, history, the history of Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, yeah, it's been going on for a long time. And it's just, I mean, RBC certainly has its problems. I kind of wish we could be a little bit more constructive in it. On average, there can be a bit of like saltiness and whinging about the uh, past. But on the other hand, you know, it is just like the hardcore in there. And if you bring up a good topic, like you will get very strong debate and stuff uh, back and forth. So hopefully people can focus uh more on that and yeah to the extent that we can preserve uh some of the history yeah it's quite important to to do so okay on a more lighthearted note we got meme of the week comes from this week from the financial times on the next slide they got their 404 page so i'm sure people maybe not everybody knows there's 404 but when you go to a website if you can't find that link if that page doesn't exist you get a 404 page right which in a lot of websites it will say error 404 page not found but there's kind of a bit of an internet joke where various companies or software developers uh at certain companies will try and jazz that up a bit and make it a bit funny like sometimes they put a funny picture or sometimes they put a joke about their company or maybe they put a quote from confucius or like some something like that right and the uh financial times 404 page have made a very detailed um one which says why wasn't this page found we asked some leading economists and then they have a whole list i'm not going to read them all there's about 20 uh, of different reasons according to different sort of economic theories why or not uh, this page has not been found so the first one is stagflation the cost of pages rose dr drastically while the page production rate slowed down uh, general economics says there was no market for it, uh, classical economics says there is no such page not going to interfere. Keynesian economics says aggregate demand for this page did not necessarily equal the productive capacity of the website. Marxism is the failure of this page to load is a consequence of the inherent contradictions in the capitalist mode of production. Laissez-faire capitalism is we know this page is needed, but we can't force anyone to make it. Uh, what other ones have we got here? Efficient market hypothesis. If you had paid enough for the page, it would have appeared. Tragedy of the commons. Everyone wanted to view this page, but no one was willing to maintain it. Uh, uh, socialism. If you were to get the page you wanted, you might get a better page than someone else, which would be unfair. This way, at least everyone gets the same. Uh, behavioral economics. The influence of psychological factors caused you to act in a manner that would not be expected of a purely rational actor. So... I just enjoyed uh, reading these and anybody can go to Financial Times and uh, just type in some garbage, A, B, C, D, E, F, G at the end and uh, get this page if you want to read them all or they're, or they're on the slides. But uh, it certainly made made me laugh. And it's, it was a good joke because of the way economics can have a hundred different explanations for the same thing. I think that's, that's, uh, that's very apt. So I don't know. 
made made me laugh. Did you find it? Did you find this one funny? But to make yeah, kind of. I re- I didn't see this before, and I kind of like took a quick look at it, and it just yeah, you know, having these economics references that are so different and and they don't know how to explain it and because i'm an economist i'm not an economist yet i'm an econ major and i see lots of people just figuring out what inflation is and that kind of stuff and then it's kind of sad to see like everyone the way economics is going right now like what you're being taught in schools is the basic stuff like for example keynesian economics which kind of justifies government spending and printing of money and but it's kind of it goes against like the sound money principle of, of Bitcoin Cash, which is or, or of Bitcoin, which is like twenty one million, right? Having that amount of, of money, uh, you know, being stable or something that doesn't devalue. Uh, like for example, there's some great economists that I've been researching and I've been reading about. Like for example, there's uh, oh yeah, von Mises. He's, he wasn't necessarily an econ- economist, but he really talked about libertarianism a lot. And there's another uh, economist called... That's like Hayek. I forgot his uh, name. Very, very popular. Yeah, yeah, that, that for sure. Friedman. Oh, yeah, his name he's was uh, Silvio Gassel. He was, he's an Argentinian economist who was really into uh, sound money because he basically made his own currency for a small city. So the way the currency worked is... You would lose the amount of you would lose a certain amount of money if you didn't spend it. So it's the opposite. It's kind of like a deflation kind of thing, and basically it worked so well that um, you know there was no more unemployment. Uh, it was a great city. Everything was going great until the government came and banned the currency. So it was one of those social uh, these economic experiments that really worked, and it just proves that Bitcoin Cash uh, having something that works that you know can be devalued is so important. And uh, I love seeing these meme, meme of the weeks. I remember there was a, a meme competition. I think you should bring that back. You yes. Know? Uh, I'm ready Luke, to, to... Luke Pryor. Uh, to enter again, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. might have to have to make it a, maybe an annual thing. But uh, yeah, shout out to Luke Pryor. He's the he's the meme master. He's going to be uh, involved. <laughs> We're going to bring the, the meme competition uh, back. But uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I like you're saying, I like the... Uh, what i like about cryptocurrency is that i'm obviously interested in economics but i find a lot of it it's very theoretical right i like that cryptocurrency is applied economics and as much as in the early years there was so much banging on about bitcoin's gonna fail it's all gonna go away blah 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 blah. but it's like you would just straight up were wrong like i don't care what your theory is i can use bitcoin cash today so that just says it all right there if your theory is bitcoin wasn't work well you're just unable to see reality because it can. So uh, that, uh, yeah, that uh, whole, that more engineering aspect of if it works, it works. Uh, I really like that about crypto and yeah, economics often struggles from being a bit too um, theoretical, I think. Okay. Message to the community. If you've watched enough of the show. I'm sure you know how it goes. Open slather. What is the Bitcoin cash community? Yeah. I think there needs to be, uh, you know, continued uh, collaboration, collaborations going on, you know, with the Telegram groups, just asking questions. There, there was another project I forgot to mention that I was also working on, which was the BCH ATM. And I think I already shared it on the Bitcoin Cash uh, Telegram group, which was which is called Betty Cash, which is uh, an ATM machine. Basically, it's like a candy machine where like 
you put in your dollars and then you get sent Bitcoin cash. And I've been trying to work on that for a while now. It's been going pretty well. Um, and it's it's just it just makes sense. Like you can literally put a dollar and, and get that one dollar in BCH. And uh, again, I feel the the community the, the the fear I feel most people have is that the community is really small. Like okay, there's 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 a community, but obviously not as big as as the other coins because all the other coins are centralized and people like to follow people. Like the, there's not so much room for decentralization. But I think we should just, you know, keep doing what we're doing. Uh, I think it's a great time to um, to improve your own skills. Like basically, it, the the idea is not that you want to get rich rich off Bitcoin. It's you want to basically have it as a safe hate, as a way that you can send money to anyone without the bank knowing, or like that kind of stuff. Like like even for me, like making the bestsellers.cash uh, website, it was just so I could learn how to make a website, basically. And I was like, okay, I can try to link it to my interests. It's not like I'm trying to make money off you guys or or like in a way where I, even, I didn't even make a flip starter for that. You know, it's something that just came out naturally. And uh, basically Sonny, actually, uh, he has one of those uh, adoption boxes, uh, which has like tons and tons of stickers in them. So I'm actually going to actually add them up. And basically I'm going to put it on the website where you can buy BCH merch, like we said, and you can get the Bitcoin Cash stickers on there. And I'm always active. So like, if you guys have any questions, I'm actually going to make a Telegram group just for uh, bestsellers.cash. Um, you know, if you guys want to uh, talk there, maybe have some uh, interesting discussions. Uh, just the other day, I was uh, I was playing, um, what is it called? Cashflow. You guys know the, the board game Cashflow? No, never heard of it. it sounds like it, It's kind of like Monopoly. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of like Monopoly, and I use Bitcoin Cash as the money. So instead of like dealing with the tiny paper cash uh, of the game, we use Bitcoin Cash. We made 150 transactions uh, uh, when the game ended, and it costed four cents. Maybe for we 150 need to... transactions. Yeah, maybe we need. It's a funny thing that I mean, I haven't. This is just a, an idea, but yeah, maybe the Bitcoin Cash community needs to just whip up a little online Monopoly game and then you could play against anyone else in the community because it would just be like look sending you you could have uh different tiers you know whale tier like uh 10 bch buy-in or something you could have like the one dollar tier and then that would be it everybody would be playing monopoly for real funny (laughs) there's a yeah there's an online poker game where you can do i think btc bch or bsv but jeremy let's stream a some kind of board game at BCH twenty two and get everyone to use Bitcoin Cash for it. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. Yeah, BCH uh, BCH Monopoly. Uh, yeah, we can do it. We can do it on on stream with. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we can even make it fun. Maybe we can uh, switch up the names of the the places. You know, we can make it all like like uh, places in Townsville statue or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like uh, community chest, you know, didn't pass a bank error in your favor, you know, blockchain uh, rebroadcast in your favor or something. And rather than like go to jail, it's like get banned from our slash Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could have a a BCH community meme edition. All right, we'll, we'll put that one in the in the back. We'll we we'll do a bit of prep for that, and maybe we can have uh, have something ready to go. And then, uh, you know, well, maybe we can open sources as well too, if we find a way to make 
uh, make some little we can 3d print some uh, game pieces maybe like a little bitcoin uh you know how you're always like the iron or the whatever the um the dog or the whatever maybe we can have some of those you can be like a reddit moderator or something. <laughs> a reddit a reddit troll you can be the reddit troll uh player um I don't know. Uh, I'm sure we can. I'm sure we could figure out figure out something. All right, Bitcoin Cash Monopoly. We'll put that one in the in the backdrop. Okay. All right. So that'll do it for the show. Then this is uh, end of the show. Thank you as always to my patrons, Ricky and HP Legends. Uh, thanks for your contribution. You can donate uh, in on the slide, obviously, with the address there. Thank you to everybody who does donate. It's the best. Um, Check out BitcoinCashPodcast.com for uh, any info on Bitcoin Cash, how it all works, FAQs, blah, 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 like recommended resources, all the episodes of the show, it's all there. Uh, thank you to everyone who listens on podcast and uh, streams in some sats that way. And shout outs for the show, Fod. Do you have uh, any shout outs you want to give? Not necessarily, but I think I'm just going to shout out the conference that's coming up soon. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to make it. Uh, but uh, I think definitely in future ones, uh, you know, definitely uh, I'll be interested in, in joining and seeing how it's going. Like there's lots of places uh, like, for example, okay, shout out to Bitcoin Jason uh, down in uh, Townsville. It's really interesting. Like there's actually a, a big community of, uh, of people like Lebanese in Australia. And I know a few people over there and I'm, I'm going to check with them, like how's it going and if they know about Bitcoin Cash yet and, it's pretty cool, like uh, having this kind of uh, circular economy. That's all you need, really, uh, and it kind of goes back to the idea of, of of sound money and not being able to be manipulated. It's the people who choose. Like you, like for example, if there's a, I actually really like the idea of the uh, vending machines. I saw there was Pitaka were working on a vending machine. I was trying also like uh, like get some vending machines from here in Dubai because like right now the vending machines have like these huge screens. It's like the whole front facing is a screen. So there's definitely a way to implement BCH in there. It just uh, takes a bit of work and uh, going to put the work in to do that. Yeah, I think this is something that I'm really excited for is because the BCH community suffered so hard after the fork, everything got kind of like splintered up and whatever. But I can see that maybe over the next year, particularly with this conference will be a classic uh, example is that the network effect is going to start reforming. For instance, maybe there's a way that St. Kitts and Townsville, like uh, some sort of connection might come out of the, the conference where then the, the network effect is going to start rebuilding and all these different cool little projects like we're talking about with the 3D printing and the ATMs and the different wallet software and the different physical locations we've got it going and the meetup, those things are slowly going to start to mesh together, which there hasn't been as much of because community has been too small people have been leaving because the price has been down or this and that but i can see it starting to coalesce together and once the momentum gets gets rolling it will be absolutely uh rocking jet do you have a shout out uh i guess i do but it's like <laughs> three four years late and like uh probably should have done Never this as like ever. yeah so uh, maybe I mentioned this on the podcast before, too. Uh, my shout out is to Charles LeBlanc, which is like a local Fredericton man who interviewed me in 2019 in front of the New Brunswick legislator. I'm pretty sure, Jeremy, that's how you stumbled upon me. I, I was going back through my YouTube channel and found your comment on that video. Yeah. I rewatched that video back. 
man, every word said there. I was just like, I'm on the right track. And Charles has been uh, just as like a complete outsider, especially because he is a boomer legitimately. Uh, asking the questions that he asked was fantastic. And uh, yeah, a shout out, shout out to him. Yeah, no, I did uh, enjoy that. I can't remember what comment I left, but I'm sure it was like, I love this because it was just as simple as you, having you uh, on the street. That's that's it, making it happen, person to person, peer to peer, you know? Yeah, the, the comment was like, liked and subscribed, uh, spreading the gr- good message of Satoshi, something like that. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was it. And my uh, shout out for the week goes to all the listeners especially the audio listeners and sometimes i shout out the listeners but this week is a really uh, special one because i we released the previous episode last night uh took a bit extra to got that edited we got it edited released it out and i checked the stats today and we got uh jet is satoshi bitcoin jason you gotta calm down a bit there mate <laughs> but anyway i checked the stats so it was like 92 people have downloaded the show today and that's uh you know there was like 30 something last night as well too so that's well over 100 people in the first 24 hours of releasing like this probably still you know six or eight hours to go before it is even 24 hours like that's over you know 100 people maybe more than 150 people listening to the audio download just straight away from the um you know, in the first 24 hours, like obviously people can listen to podcasts anytime, but if they're listening to it straight away, that means they're paying attention. They see a new episode, they're excited and they immediately want to listen to it. So I just, yeah, want to thank everyone because 150 people, that's a lot of people. Like I imagine that as a physical crowd of people, that's a lot of people listening to what we're, what we're talking about. And it certainly seems to have jumped up in the last uh, few weeks maybe because we've, I don't know, had uh, less episodes recently. So people are really (laughs) desperate for it. But uh, yeah, just thank you very much to all the audio listeners. And the the community is certainly strong and and growing. And I can see that in the in the stats. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you. If you're listening, thank you. All right. Cheers. That'll do it for this week. And until next time.